Hey, good morning, Emmanuel. Welcome to worship today. We've had two deaths in the life of our congregation this week, and I want to highlight both of them. Eric Nixon's dad um, passed away, so we've been praying for Eric and Candy and their family system. And if you happen to see the Nixons around, just um, give them a big hug and pray over them. The second is um, Mike Gallo uh, passed away on Thursday um, morning. So Mike and Joyce are just deeply involved in the life of our church. Um, they kind of work with the coffee team, and they actually organized um, the communion participants and so forth. And um, just a real tragedy. Mike was um, 56 years old. And we're holding his memorial service tomorrow from 10 to noon is the gathering time, and from noon to 1 is the um, service itself, and then at 1 o'clock, we're going to have a luncheon together. This will be unlike any other memorial service you've ever seen because the gallows said, we want to make it a big party, so we're clearing out the worship center, we're putting tables down, just like we would for like a Wednesday night dinner, if you've been involved in that, and so everybody's going to be sitting around tables, and we're celebrating Mike's life, and then we're all going to have a big meal together. And so um, the gallows, Joyce, specifically wanted me to mention to you that, you know, we realize it's Monday, we realize it's going to be snowing tonight, and um, it may be difficult, but if you're able to make the, um, the gathering time or the service tomorrow, they would love to have you be here, and they just want you to stay for the meal afterwards. Now, we have a policy in our church that says if North Penn... Um, school district cancels, we cancel all events. We're suspending that tomorrow. We will have Michael's gathering time memorial service regardless of the weather. We have the plows ready to go. We have crew of people ready to make sure that the walks are cleared off. So we just wanted you to know that right up front. I think we should pause and pray for um, Eric, Nixon, and Joyce and their four young adult children, okay? Jesus, we always go back to this dichotomy that says we grieve and we are grieving for Eric and Candy over the loss of Eric's dad. And we grieve with, with Joyce. I mean, it was just so sudden. And we lift up, um, you know, Corrine and Sophia and Gabriella and Mikey. Um, and so we just pause in our grief and say, God, would you bring, bring comfort? And yet at the same time, we have this, this deep down hope and optimism on the inside that just says, but we'll see them again one day. And just a few weeks ago before Michael Gallo's um, passing, his own dad passed away, and Michael calls me up like early in the morning and says, um, I led my dad to Christ today. And now we know that he and his dad are united in heaven. And so while we grieve on the one hand, we also celebrate. And so would you help the gallows today to live in that dichotomy? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I began last week a series called Anxious for Nothing. The inspiration of this series from was from Max Lucado's new book, Anxious for Nothing. And um, I talked last week about what anxiety is. Anxiety is a feeling of un 
ease. It's a feeling of dread on the inside of you. Now, the difference between fear and anxiety is this. Fear sees something and is fearful. Anxiety imagines something and is fearful. I told the story last week about um, being a, a, a counselor at Camp Deconic in my college years and how there was this fear of bears in the woods so nobody would leave their lean-to, right? There, they, we never saw any bears. It was the thought that there might be one. Here's what I know. I know that you and I face bears in the wood all the time. And we're going to have to make a decision. Are we going to live our lives in fear or not? And that's where this message is going. Would you stand, please? We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 together. And I've asked you to consider memorizing it. And so today we're just going to read it responsibly, okay? I believe last week I... I shared it out of the New Living Translation. This week we're sharing it out of the New International Version. And so let's just read it together, okay? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Bow your heads together. Jesus, we love you, and you've committed to us that you're going to change and transform us in ways that only we can dream and imagine. So help us today to experience a little bit of that transformation, particularly when it comes to anxiety. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Okay, why are we in this passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8? It's interesting because... Did you know that the most highlighted book on Kindle is the Bible and the most highlighted verse or verses of Scripture in the Kindle version is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. In other words, all of America is going to this Scripture passage saying, I'm stressed out. There must be something here that helps me to deal with my anxiety. Now, we looked last week about the first solution of how to overcome anxiety, and it is simply this, rejoice in the Lord always, say it again, rejoice. It's a little counterintuitive because when you're filled with anxiety, the last thing you want to do is to just praise God because you're so focused on the reason why you're anxious that you don't have much space for gratitude. So the Apostle Paul says, do the counterintuitive thing and spend some time praising and rejoicing in God. And here's the reason why. You can't be filled with God and filled with fear and anxiety at the same time. It's impossible. You're going to have to choose what you're going to be filled with, who you're going to be filled with. And so here's what Paul says, is that if you're going to overcome anxiety, then make sure that you spend a lot of time in gratitude and in praise to God. So here's my suggestion. This is last week's message. Here's my suggestion. Go out and get a 99-cent journal, and every day, 
create a gratitude page in your journal that just says, today I'm thankful to God for, and list out several things. Because that's going to reduce your anxiety. This whole issue behind anxiety is this. The Bible does not promise anxious-free moments. It does promise that perpetual anxiety, God has something better for you than experiencing that. In other words, John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I have come that they may have a rich and a satisfying life, an abundant life. Jesus' death that we just celebrated through communion and his resurrection purchased for us an anxiety-free life, meaning perpetual and continuous anxiety. Some of you are living at a high level of anxiety Monday through Sunday, and you're picking it back up. Hey, God has something better for you. God does not intend for you to live at that level of anxiety. And so the solution is, of the first of five, the solution is, praise God. Get a gratitude journal. So what can we praise God for? Two things, his sovereignty and his mercy. God's sovereignty is his I'm in control because I'm God perspective. Remember, where did the apostle Paul write his letter to the Philippians? He wrote it in jail, in a Roman jail, and he was chained to Roman soldiers 24-7. Eight-hour shifts. Interestingly, in the first part of Philippians, Paul turns that around and says, I get to share the gospel with people because I have a captive audience. Who's he referring to? Oh, great. I'm chained to Paul again. Paul's like, hey, good to see you. Everybody needs a little me time, right? Can you imagine what it's like Day after day, week after week, month after month, no me time. Oh, I have to go to the restroom. Chain. Hey, you stand around the corner there, buddy. Need a little me time. And yet the Apostle Paul seems to have no problem with no privacy. Philippians is like the happiest letter ever. And yet, he's in prison. Do you know why? Because Paul trusts in the sovereignty of God. The big picture, God's in control. Secondly, Paul is trusting in God's mercy. God isn't up there in heaven with a giant fly swatter waiting to smack people who get out of line. In other words, the mercy of God says that God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us in our time of need. The writer of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this. So in response, let us come boldly before the throne of God. There we will, refine, we will find his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. In other words, we go running to God, not running from God. Interestingly, with this whole idea of rejoicing, like what can we rejoice in and why should we rejoice There's a where we should rejoice that I didn't mention last week that seems good to bring it up now. So I learned something in seminary, and I don't think I've ever said this before publicly, but we all know it to be true, but we we don't often apply it. And that is every single book, every single letter in the New Testament was written first to a group of people, meaning the church. So what that means is every single thing that you read 
in the New Testament should be applied first to the church in community. So when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, say it again, rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all, Do not be anxious about anything. He's talking to a group of people, and what he's saying is this. Fine, you may have your favorite chair at home. You may go for a walk, and you may be praising God. You may keep your gratitude journal in a very private place. That's totally fine. But listen to this. The best way that you overcome anxiety is to be in community rejoicing together. Why is that? Because there's something powerful about listening to the people sing next to you. There's something powerful about the unexpected conversations you have in the hallway about answered prayer. There's something powerful whenever we share a transformation story up on the screen or somebody comes up and says, this is what God's been doing in my life. You walk away and you say, that was good. And I can apply it to me. And if you don't make rejoicing in community a part of your regular practice, no wonder anxiety goes up. Anxiety goes down when we consistently praise God perpetually, and anxiety goes down when we do that in community together. Okay, all of that, that's last week. What about this week? Solution number two to overcome anxiety. You ready? Keep calm and carry on. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Let everybody see, let everybody see that you are considerate. Or let your gentleness be evident to all. It's the same word, considerate, gentleness, in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. The Greek word for considerate is the controlling ver- is the controlling word in this verse. It means to be moderate, to be gentle, to be gracious, to be level-headed, to be tempered, to be non-defensive. All of that is wrapped up in the word considerate. When you're full of anxiety, the best thing you can do is to take time to calm down. Go for a walk, pray, meditate on Scripture, unplug from all electronic devices, count to 10, count to 100. Breathe deeply, go to the gym and work out, get more sleep, get a massage. It's all biblical. Maybe not the massage part, I don't know. It's biblical to calm down. Why is that? Because when you're anxious, you typically do things that you regret later. If you will bring yourself down, chances are you won't say something that you'll regret. You won't do something that you'll regret the next day or the next week or the next month. So that's what Paul is saying here. Make sure that you're considerate in all that you do. Make sure that you bring yourself down in all that you do. I um, read a story this week that blew my mind, so I'm just going to read it to you. It's about the value of calm. Had it not been for the calm of a clear-thinking officer, World War III might have begun in 1962. 
His name was Velasi Arkhipov. He was 36 years old, and he was the chief of staff for a fleet of Russian submarines. The crew members assumed that they were being sent on a training mission off the Siberian coast, but they came to learn that they had been commissioned to travel 5,000 miles south to spearhead a base near Havana, Cuba. The subs went south, and so did their mission. In order to move quickly, the submarines traveled on the surface of the water where they ran head into a hurricane. The 50-foot waves left the men nauseated and the operating systems compromised. Then came the warm waters. Soviet subs were designed for polar waters, not tropical Atlantic waters. Temperatures inside the submarines exceeded 120 degrees Fahrenheit. The crew battled the heat and the claustrophobia for much of their three-week journey. By the time they were near the coast of Cuba, all of the men on the submarines were exhausted, on edge, and anxious. The situation worsened when the subs received cryptic instructions from Moscow to turn northward and patrol the coast of Florida. Soon after they entered the American waters, their radar picked up the signal of a dozen ships and aircraft. The Russians were being followed by the Americans. The U.S. ships set off depth charges. The Russians assumed that they were under attack. It was at this point that the captain lost his cool. He summoned all of his staff to his command post, and pounding on the table with his fists, he said, we're going to blast them now. We will die, but we will sink them all, and we will not disgrace our Navy. The world was teetering on the edge of war, but then Velasi asked for a moment with his captain. The two men stepped to the side, and he urged his superior to reconsider. He suggested that they talk to the Americans before reacting. The captain listened. His anger cooled, and he gave the order for the vessels to surface. The Americans encircled the Russians and kept them under surveillance. What they intended, intended to do is unclear, as in a couple of days the Soviets dove, eluded the Americans, and went back to Russia. The incredible brush with death was kept secret for decades, 40 years until it was declassified. Arkhipov deserved a medal, yet he lived the rest of his life with no recognition whatsoever. It was not until 2002 that the public learned of this barely avoided catastrophe. As the director of the National Security Archive once stated, the lesson from this event is that a guy named Velasi Arkhipov saved the world. One guy who kept his cool in a tense situation pulled his captain aside who had already given the order to destroy the ships. And he said, we should talk the Americans. And that is how World War III was avoided. But nobody knew it for 40 years. The power of staying calm in the midst 
of conflict. The early church was no stranger to conflict. The context of these verses, you know, Philippians 4, 4 through 8, somebody who has, you remember what your Bibles were, those, those, those books that we used to open up before everything went electronic? If you have your Bibles with you, look at verses 2 through 4. Do you know what verses 2 through 4 are about? They're about the Apostle Paul publicly calling out two ladies named Yodia and Synteke who were in conflict. And he was saying to these dear ladies who used to walk into church together, but now they walk in in different doors, who used to be greeting together in the front of the church, now they're like, yeah, I'm going down that hall when I see her. He says to them, listen, ladies, you've helped me with the gospel message and you're a critical part of this church in Philippi. Resolve your differences. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything. He's talking to the two ladies, telling them, calm down. Let cooler heads prevail. So, how do you deal with a conflict calmly? Because a major source of anxiety comes from relationships. Your kids, your spouse, your work, your neighbors. Number one, deal with it sooner rather than later. The longer you let a conflict grow, the bigger it gets and the more emotionally charged it becomes. What was a little skirmish, a little skirmish, a little misunderstanding, a little harsh word here or there that's not dealt with within the week ends up getting six months later blown up to 50 different things that this person did. It's called injustice collecting in conflict management. And we just collect all the injustices because we didn't deal with it on the front end. Two, check your own heart attitude first. What's driving this conflict? Is it that I was misunderstood? Is it because my pride was wounded? Is it because I have to, I have a need to be right? Is it because you've apologized too many times? You know, oftentimes within family relationships, one always seems to apologize more than the other. And so sometimes the one who's always apologizing just says, good grief, I'm standing up for myself. I'm not going to apologize anymore. I'm always the one saying I'm sorry. What was your role in the conflict? Interestingly, you may have said or done something, or remember, because nonverbal communication is 93% of all communication, you may have, in your nonverbal communication, communicated something, and that other person was offended by it, and you may not even know that you did it, you may not even acknowledge that you did it, and so you don't even know you're part of the conflict that that person is frustrated with you about and how you've contributed to it, and you're totally blind to it. You need some time to reflect. Have you apologized for your part? This is where we get into pride, right? Because let's say somebody was 90% wrong and you were 10% wrong. We want that person who's 90% wrong to apologize first because we want to make sure that we keep the power equal. When in reality, if you're 10% wrong on something, you should feel free to just go, you know what, I was wrong in this. Now, quietly you're thinking, yeah, you were like 90% wrong, buddy. I'm just telling you. But I'm apologizing for my part, okay? 
Three, approach the person with a listening ear and an open heart, already forgiving before asked. A listening ear. Again, maybe you said or did something that you're not aware of. You need to hear that and respond appropriately. An open heart, not a defensive heart, a gentle heart, a humble heart, and forgiving before asked. Here's here's what we make the mistake in. We make the mistake of thinking, I'm not going to forgive somebody until they've asked for forgiveness. Big trouble, big problem. You should walk into any kind of conflict already having forgiven that person. You still need to talk it out. You still need to work it through. But that's your heart. You know why? Listen, Paul says this to the church in Colossae. He says that we ought to forgive one another because we've all been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because you've been forgiven, you should easily let forgiveness roll off of you. Okay, why should you keep calm and not let anxiety get the better of you. Interestingly, Paul gives two reasons why. The first is people are looking to you as an example. Look at let everyone see let everyone see that you are considerate. The reason why we are to keep calm is because we have other people watching us. Your children, your nieces and nephews, your neighbors, your co-workers, they're all watching you to see how if this Christian life thing, this I have a personal relationship with Jesus, is actually real and truthful. Because if Jesus isn't transforming you and me, you've got to go back and get a different commitment to Jesus. Because Jesus said it himself. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul says we're to stay calm because others are watching. Now, here's what's interesting when it comes to anxiety. When we have anxiety, some of us have a tendency to become moody, irritable, touchy, defensive. And we think that we're, we think it's okay Because, you know, we're under stress. No, it's not okay. That's part of the example is anybody can be nice when things are going well. It takes a Christian to act like a Christian under stress. And so if you're moody or touchy or defensive or irritable, if you're jumping off at people like, you know, like flying off the handle, you need to take a step back and go, wait a minute, why am I doing that? Well, it's because I'm under stress. No, it's because it's in you to begin with. It's just coming out because of the stress. There's a second reason that um, we ought to keep calm, do whatever we can to bring ourselves down, and that's because anxiety is contagious. So a couple weeks ago, I had a really bad cold, And because I love Holly, I gave it to her. True story. I feel great. She's coming back. We share things because we love each other. Well, guess what? 
you, you can be contagious with anxiety and you're just passing it along in your family system, right? We call that in the world of psychology an anxious system. And so you get it passed down from generation to generation to generation. Well, I'm, I worry a lot or I'm anxious a lot because my mom or my dad or whatever, and you know, I come from a long line of worriers or whatever. And the reality is, though, is that you're going to have to take a stand in your generation. We call that generational sin, by the way. You're going to have to take a stand in your generation and go, hey, I'm stopping it right here, and I'm creating a whole new trajectory moving forward, and I'm not going to deal with that anymore. Calm is contagious too. Just ask the captain on a Russian submarine. Okay, who will help me get and stay calm? I've already mentioned some ways that you can get calm. Let me mention a few more. You know, it's helpful to get around calm people and learn from them. Don't let things pile up. Deal with them quickly before they get overwhelmed. A lot of anxiety comes from just simply being overwhelmed and paralyzed because you have so much going on. Give yourself margin. Don't overschedule yourself. Practice, practice, practice like anything else. Listen, anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. But God, through his grace, through his death and resurrection, promised you a rich and a satisfying life, so he has a better life for you than continual, perpetual anxiety. And so that's part of just working out our salvation. So practice, practice, practice. But you know, the most important way to get calm is to ask for help from our Lord. Paul says, remember The Lord is near. Now, interestingly, in the King James Bible, the New International Version, the New Living Translation, and the Message Version, all of them say it a little bit differently. And interestingly, one says, the Lord is coming soon, while the other one says, the Lord is near. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But the key is to ask for help. So Bill Fry writes in his book, The Dance of Hope. When he was 11 years old, he tells, he tells a story when he was 11 years old of his job in the family was to go get wood for the furnace that they had on their Georgia home. And one of the best places that he would get wood would be to dig up old stumps. And stumps were great because they usually had a lot of resin in them, which meant that they burned pretty well. And so his job as an 11-year-old was to scout out the area around the house and dig up old stumps. So he tells this story. One day I found a large stump in an open field near the house and I tried to unearth it. I literally pushed and pulled, crowbarred for hours, but the root system was so deep and large I simply couldn't pull it out of the ground. I was still struggling when my father came home from his office and he spotted me working on it and came over to watch. I think I see your problem, my father said. What's that, I asked. You're not using all of your strength, he said. I exploded on him and told him how hard I had worked and for how long. And yet he came back, no, I don't think you're using all of your strength. When I had cooled down, 
I asked him what he meant by that, and he said, you haven't asked me yet to help you. Then the writer goes on. This business of anxiety management is like pulling stumps from the ground. Some of your worries have deep root systems. Extracting them is hard. It's very hard work. In fact, it may be the toughest challenge of all, but you do not have to do it alone. Present the challenge to your father and ask for help because he is near. So the Apostle Paul does a little word play in verse 5, and he says that the Lord is near. And what he means by that is actually two things. One is the Lord is coming back soon. So you, you all know, right? So in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and all of the new Christians, they were thinking that Jesus' return was imminent and he would be coming back within that generation. So they always lived in the light of the Lord Jesus could come back at any time. Now, we know that that's not true because it's been 2,000 years since um, um, Jesus walked on this earth, but we still, the Apostle Paul says, we still should live life in the context of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, the, it's 1137 right now. We're going to be wrapping up in about eight minutes. But guess what? The Lord could return in the next minute. And what the Apostle, or the Lord could return this afternoon, right in the middle of the silent auction, it happens right? So the Apostle Paul says, we ought to rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And he meant that to be a positive thing. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, man, if the Lord returns in the next minute, I'm in trouble. Like it's not, it's not anxiety reducing to you. It's anxiety filling to you. Now you have to ask yourself that question. Why? Why, if the Lord were to return in the next few moments, why would that be a problem for you? Well, I mean, I, I'd have to make a phone call because I haven't talked to my sister in three years. I mean, we had a blow up and it, well, why are you waiting? Because the, the, the Lord could return at any moment. Well, I mean, there are some things in my life that, I mean, I know that there, I mean, and when none of us is perfect, but you know, I, I, hey, if you're living with blatant sin in your life, um, The Lord is near. Hello? What are you going to really stand before our loving Heavenly Father and explain how you have this issue that is unconfessed sin in your life? Really? You want to go there? The second coming of Jesus Christ for Christians is a source of anxiety reduction, not anxiety producing. So here's what he means. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming back. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. The stuff that's causing you anxiety right now in the light of Jesus returning, you should let it go. Because it's not that big of a deal. The frustration that you have that you forgot a friend's birthday and you have a belated birthday card and you're a little irritated with yourself, let it go. Because in the light of Jesus coming back in the next five minutes, I mean, you're not even going to make it to the post office. Relax. You know what I'm saying? A lot of the stuff that produces anxiety inside of us isn't worthy. 
it's just not worthy of us. Because we're living in the light of the second coming of Jesus. Does that make sense? The purpose of Jesus' return, the Apostle Paul is saying, the purpose is to create a space for you to understand what's really important in life. And if you get those things really important, relax. Your car problems aren't that big of a deal. The second thing that the Apostle Paul is talking about is the Lord is near, meaning he's near. So all you have to do is ask him for help. Now here's the problem. Some of you have deep-seated anxiety issues. And that's okay because chances are you got them from your living environment, maybe your parents or your grandparents, whatever, but you've picked it up along the way because remember, anxiety is contagious. And so it may be that you praying a prayer, asking God to release you of perpetual anxiety, God in his grace may just go, yep, I've taken care of it. Listen, I I have 31 years of ministry of people coming to altars and praying and God delivering people from drug abuse, people delivering people from alcohol addiction, people delivering people from smoking, people being delivered um, from pornography addiction for years. I've seen God, boom, just take care of it like that. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen? Here's what you need to know. 90% of the time, God doesn't do that. You know why God doesn't do it? He loves you too much. You see this thing about working out your salvation? The issue is character development over years of working it out. God is God. He can do whatever He wants. He's sovereign and He's merciful. He may deliver you from anxiety just like that. On the other hand, God may spend the next year or two or three rewiring your brain. And that's okay too. You know why? Because the Lord is near. And you may have to go through the hard work of digging out the stump but you're not doing it by yourself. You've got somebody to help you. And you and the Lord together, you can do this. You can dig it out. So I've decided every week in this series, I'm going to give something away. Last week, it was a card that had the Scripture passage on it, and I'm just asking everybody to just uh, memorize Philippians 4, 4 through 8. It's not that hard, but it has to be intentional. So this week... I'm giving away a prayer to overcome anxiety. And the worship team is going to close out with a song. And during that song, if you would like this prayer, I just want you to come up to the altars and, and pick it up. Here's the prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, you promised me a rich and a satisfying life through your death and resurrection power. I claim that life for me right now. I surrender all anxiety over to you because you are sovereign and merciful. I rejoice in that. Help me to calm my anxiety by remembering who I am, your child, and an example of your grace to others. 
and who you are. You are my Savior who loves me and is with me no matter what. All of my life, I've been taught that real prayers are spontaneous prayers. I think that that's not quite true. I think that a lot of prayers are written prayers that we don't even know how to articulate, that somebody gives us, and we take it and we make it our own. In between services, somebody came up to me and said, man, I love when you hand out these things because, and then he pointed to his phone and said, remember when you preached this message, you gave out this four years ago? Every single day, I still pray this prayer. And it blew my mind. Brothers and sisters, in many ways, you know, I'm just like you, right? I mean, we're all trying to figure this out together. So, I, you, you know... I made up this prayer because I need this prayer, right? This is my, these are my words. I didn't pull them from some book. So I, I'm doing the same thing you're doing, bottom line. And by God's grace, I'm just living free. And you can experience that too. So would you stand? And the worship team is going to come, close us out in a song. During that song, if this is meaningful to you, you come pick it up. And you pray this prayer once, twice, three, 20, 30 times a day. And allow this to sink deep, deep inside of you. Father, would you go with us this week in such a way that our voices just turn to you? Would it be in the anxious moments we would be reminded of what we've... We've just been, you know, taught this morning. What we've been reminded of this morning. Would you bring right to the front of our minds a new response to anxiety and worry and fear. That it would be that we would turn our hearts to you. We would turn our thoughts to praise, to worship, to gratitude. For you long to dwell within us and give us hope. We love you. Go with us this week. We love you. Amen. Amen. Hope to see you this afternoon, 3.30.